When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hi. I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast dedicated to helping you take back control of your mind, mood and mental health. In this episode, I interview Denise Brody, an award-winning journalist and founder of Rebel Talent, on how to navigate life and work with dyslexia, sensory differences, ADHD or any other neurodiversity. Denise shares some great tips on how to make these perceived setbacks into your greatest assets, how to talk to your boss about a mental health issue, how to raise kids with special needs, and so much more. If you're wanting some more practical and simple strategies and tips to help you manage your mental health, then you need to order my new book, 101 Ways to Be Less Stressed. This book is packed with simple self-care strategies to help boost your mind, mood, and mental health. Right now, when you pre-order, you can get 20% off. This book is great for holidays, birthdays, or simply just a gift for yourself. Just go to drleaf.com for more details and to order. The link will also be in the show notes. If you enjoy my podcast and want to know how you can help me continue making them possible, please consider subscribing wherever you listen and leaving a five-star review. And please continue sharing this podcast with friends, family, and on social media. And now, on to today's interview. Denise, I'm really pleased to have you in the studio with me today to be talking about such an important topic. So my listeners have heard your intro, but will you introduce yourself and tell us something about you, maybe that's not in your bio, why you do what you do, what motivates you? So I am originally a writer. That's where everything comes from. That's where creativity, quirkiness, all that stuff. I've always wanted to be a writer. I used to run to the mailbox to get the magazine when magazines were in print. (laughs) I really kind of lived my dream to grow up and work for all the magazines that were in my mailbox. So glamour, self, fitness. I wrote for the New York Times and it was a dream, you know, it was a serious, it was, it was, it was amazing. And, and as we know, the world has exploded many times over and I now do most of my stuff digitally. And so I started to realize as I left the office situation, 
I realized sometimes why I wasn't so happy or why I didn't fit in or I was misunderstood or why I was so stressed and nobody else was. <laughs> There, there was just a difference between me and everyone else. And I think the, the first inkling of that came when I left a very, very creative world, magazines, and went into much more structured workplace. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, my differences were spotlighted. You know, I felt like I was walking around with little Christmas lights all over me, right? And I grew up not knowing that I had, or just use labels just because that's what medical models use. Yeah. ADHD, sensory dysfunction, dysgraphia, you know, a host of all kinds of things, right? That make life seem and and feel and you experience life differently. And often I like the way (laughs) that is, right? But then I had a kid too, and he was five or six, and he was starting to experience the world in ways that I recognized getting seasick, getting carsick, hating mm-hmm. noise, not liking transitions, finding it difficult to read anything that wasn't factual, you know, getting lost in, in games and things for hours and hours and being incredibly creative and then being very quiet at school and conf- like the confusion kind of, ooh, you know, too much going on here. He had a lot to offer and they would always say, we wish Toby would speak up a little, you know. Yeah. And- Five or six, right? So he's now 21. He's, work, he's, he's working as a designer. He fixes bicycles. He's doing all of these amazing things. And no one's asked him to do them. He's simply motivated by himself. And, and I saw that as he left, sort of a long-winded response, but basically it's the evolution of how I got to Rebel Talent, which was I saw that both my both me and my son and his friends Mm -hmm. of schools where they all of a sudden there was a drop off in help. Nobody was Mm. about the issues that we had. And so organization, just simple things, stress levels, the noise of a commute in New York city, the uncertainty of the pandemic, all of those things are for the most part hidden by people who have either such labels or who think differently, right? And that's really unfortunate. And that's why I created Rebel Talent, because it's not so much a company or a nonprofit. It's really a hub. It's it's a hub for people to learn about themselves, to learn about each other, and to trade swap stories. And Someone asked me yesterday, well, what have you been up to lately? And I said, I've been hunkering down, creating something that's a combination between Saturday Night Live and NPR. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) The idea is that you, you come to Rebel Talent to be understood. What you do actually is you find through, let's say, mini conferences, workshops, webinars, whatever we do, speed dating, you know, speed dating, not dating, but speed friending, right? Yeah. Any, anything we decide we want to do, short videos, you can, you not only help yourself, but you help the other person. And because they see how they are reflected back and you, you have 
the gumption or you have the permission because you are a rebel talent to say some things you wouldn't normally say in that in another setting in an office setting or very formal setting and so you Mm -hmm. could say to someone in a practice session for example to interview via video you could say you know you keep looking all over the place what's going on with you you know like I get it because you're thinking and you look up but some people might not understand that. The other person will say, oh, that, oh God, I didn't even know that, you know. And we do have an advisory board, but I consider pretty much anyone who wants to be a rebel talent on my team. It's not a game that you win at work anymore. I think it's how can you help other people? And I think we've seen that so clearly with the movements that are happening now. It's just really about, it's about coming out as whatever you are and staying well <laughs> as love it and and human human kindness is is mm. something that's so much more valuable now than it than it ever was mm. pure kindness and i i tend to i use the word rebel also because i think you have to stand up for yourself sometimes and i don't want it to be that you're, a, you know, radical or weird or, you know, I, I simply want to say we think and do and experience life against the grain oftentimes. Mm. We need to make that understood by people who do not. Mm. Really important. Wonderful, wonderful answer and just so encouraging. And I, I get so happy when I hear what you're saying because I spent many years researching and studying the mind brain connection. And a big part of what I did was working with people all ages who, who battled with learning, who thought differently, who functioned differently. And there's just, and it didn't make, make them different, it just made them have a different ability. So almost like a disability, but not a disability. And I was so concerned at that time, 30 years ago, I was watching this process and it. At that time when I was trained, we were literally trained that the brain couldn't change. And that if someone came to you with a problem, whatever it was, trauma, learning issues, whatever, it was just teaching to compensate. And I remember saying 30 years ago, Denise, that this 30, nearly 38 years ago, that I don't agree with that, that the mind can change the brain. And I got involved in neuroplasticity research and did extensive research with big schools that had, and of all ages, right the way through from little to big and adults as well, who, who were battling with learning disabilities and all kinds of challenging situations. Situations. And by showing people how to basically operate in their own, to allow people to be themselves, to allow, to make, to, to allow that there's different, you can't just put everyone in a box. You can't just say this is the bell curve and everyone's got to fit in the middle. But allowing for the spread around the bell curve and the outliers, you could actually accommodate for different types of learning. And we had so many kids that had been written off, labeled by the biomedical model, popped onto medications and pretty much getting lost in the system, getting them off medications and teaching them how to learn, coming around with them as a team and you know that kind of thing so i hear what you're saying i don't like how the how the move has happened how we've gone from that period where we said our brain couldn't change to an era where we actually worked as a team and did agree that the brain could change and then from there into an era where the biomedical model which you mentioned where people as soon as you just a little bit off normal and what is normal anyway and who defines normal which is really terrible to then having this whole medical model of you symptom labeled the drug medication where you know that's not the way to help people i saw kids that were battling adults that were battling you teach them how to learn and they've got degrees and function brilliantly and no differently to anyone else but but difference was not a value judgment so i hear what you're saying in my heart is i'm really happy because it's it's so important that 
accept that we all are different and not just get stuck in this bell curve biomedical model and recognize that there's that the bell curve who, who decides what's normal anyway so i say that all to say i want to read just very quickly from your web from your web page that you've called join the rebel talent revolution i think it's fantastic what a lovely idea your neurodiversity adhd dyslexia dysgraphia sensory processing differences even your anxiety are valuable assets now when i read that i was so excited because i always talk about people saying embrace your anxiety embrace whatever it is because in that you, you're going to find your you know move through that it's painful but you're going to find your creativity your success your peace whatever the troubled world we live in will only improve if people who think differently that you share their ideas i mean this is beautiful take risks and demand leadership roles they deserve beautiful i love it so that is very inspiring and i love how you say so clearly on your website and i'm going to read it from here your neurodiversity sensory processing dysgraphia dyslexia the troubled world we live in will only improve if people think differently okay so Talk a little bit about why, what you mean there, expand a little bit on that, because it's really, it's really amazing. Well, just to back up really far, you know, 10,000 feet, Feet. (laughs) I I think that the time we're living in right now, where the world comes into your house, (laughs) literally, (laughs) and you're, and there's no one yet, you know, we're all in a bubble but we have to kind of learn how to deal with each other. It's a very interesting time for, for people to deal with. And one thing that people do who think differently is they are very agile thinkers. They're always creating workarounds. They're very curious. Sometimes they play the devil's advocate. Sometimes they'll sense a friction in the room or in the Zoom. <laughs> in the Zoom, yeah. I love it. They'll sense that friction in the Zoom, the Zoom room. But literally like a sort of anxiety, the way people speak or the way ideas get brushed under the rug or whatever it is, that is really important to be able to Mm -hmm. say, maybe not during the meeting, but to say, I sense that there's a lot of resistance to this. And the person presenting is presenting. They're all about presenting their big idea, right? So you're an asset to them because you can say, as I watched this, this is what I saw. And so that informs people in a different way. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody just sees the world through their own eyes. And it's, you know, it's really great to put things out there and have people respond to them. But in, in this new world, it's hard to take in so much feedback. It's on Slack. It's this. Mm-hmm. So I think the second part of this is not only are you an asset because you can say creatively problem solve or point out a, an issue or a feeling, but you also already know what it's like to feel weird. Like I'm like out of your element, out of that that bell curve. You've already had. You've already been forced to to restrict yourself to the sort of the you here, but the that's what the world wants to shape you into, and which is so unrealistic because we are so totally different. Right, and and so all of a sudden you have people who say, "I'm alone in my house by myself. It gets dark really early. I haven't seen any of my coworkers. I don't want to be like this anymore." And you say. I felt that. I've known that. I've had that feeling. I don't want to be like this anymore. Mm. And and there is a sense of solitude, I would say, not necessarily loneliness, but solitude to to thinking differently, to feeling everything very 
you know, two times greater than anybody else, right? And that's a really weird thing to verbalize. No, but that makes a lot of sense. As it, now that it's flipped, you know, all of a sudden people are, are in our shoes. They're feeling a little uncomfortable. They need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Comfortable. Mm-hmm. They need to learn how to follow a timeline and not get way off track, right? And and like I do with ADHD, you know, I could I could go down a rabbit hole, so could anybody at this point online and not come out for four hours. Exactly. And if you're working at home suddenly, you don't have, oh, this is Thursday's meetings and this is Saturday's whatever. You really you really are in the same boat as as the rest of us now. There's there's a greater responsibility for you to figure out how to do your best work. And that's, I often say, that's rebel talent. That's what rebel talent does is you can be an asset when you can do your best work, period. That's fantastic. So you can let your, your creativity and your difference be an asset as opposed to, and you can also have a safe space. So you've created a safe space, which then helps people to understand how to actually express themselves in the workplace, which then, so that's what you, giving people the sort of space to understand how to process that and how to explain it to others. Because I think that's always the issues. We, we are in a day and age now where we have to stand up and explain this is how I think and this is okay, you know, and I think differently. Well, I am more sensitive to sound. So can you just respect that? Or if I pull into a corner, it's not because I don't like you, it's because the sound is just too much for me or something like that. And that's, we've got to get more comfortable doing that kind of thing. You know, that's what you talk about a lot, isn't it? And there's a phrase, change comes from the top, right? I don't necessarily agree with that anymore. I think it comes from, comes from every single level. I think it's important for leadership to understand the huge mental health issues in this country right now, the massive amount of difficulty finding care, just even if you wanted to talk to someone, how to find a therapist or how to afford a therapist, all of those things, those are leadership issues. People need to, you know, as CEOs say, I need to find a way to help my people come to work feeling good and being able to do their best work. But on the other side of it too, all of the the team that you work with, whatever executive title they have or not, they have to be able to come together and understand each other and, and step up and say bravely, hey, hold on a minute. I have had a 12-hour day every day this week. Isn't mm-hmm else tired (laughs) you know and yeah I often say don't talk about what's worrying you or what's freaking you out because really people want you to come to work with solutions so step back think about what's really worrying you it's probably what's worrying other people too step back and say, there's a different way to do this. Like if I had two screens or if I didn't have to use Slack, I might be a little bit better at getting my work done on time. And so it's it's really important for people to describe in detail the things that the way that they work. 
That's very good. That's how they would speak to, that's that's how, how, in terms of speaking to bosses and employers and companies and, you know, how they should, because you talk about neurodiversity and you kind of put this under the umbrella of neurodiversity. So what you're describing now is the kinds of things that you could say to bosses and so on and leadership. If using Slack and using two screens is slowing you down, you've got to say that. You mustn't just sit there trying to make it work. If it's not working for you, you need to say, this is not working, but I can be much more productive if I do it this way, using this particular set of tools or whatever. Is that, that if I'm hearing you correctly, that's what you're saying? Yes. And even your chair or where you're sitting, you know, the big joke used to be, don't put a kid who's easily distracted, seat, seat that kid next to the pencil sharpener or don't, just don't do it. <laughs> You know, like, and and I was that little girl, but I, nobody thought little girls had any learning differences. So when I grew up in the eighties, I'm a Gen Xer, all of this exploded. And I realized, wow, I, I, when we got the neuropsych back, the exam back from the report back from Toby's neuropsych evaluation, you know, they spent six hours with him, right? I looked at it and I said, that's me. You are just a little me. And it was really helpful to understand. I think as much as you can understand about yourself and the way you do things and where things are uneven, that's so important for you to be able to learn how to cope. Oh, so important to manage the the situation, to understand it and to manage it. Yeah, because, for example, with Toby, and the same with me, the doctor said, well, look, there's, he's really, really high over here with this skill and really low over here. And then we would look through the chart and it would happen again, a big high, very verbal, whatever, you know, very low here. And he said, all of that leads to frustration because when somebody is not evenly on keel, you know, they are wondering what is going on. How could I be so good at one thing and so awful at another? And you just have there on paper, not necessarily a prescription at all. A bit of a description of the way that you're functioning to get some kind of balance understanding of it. If you're an actor starting to do a character and you try and find out all the different things that motivate them, right? That they people do tons and tons of research. That's what you're basically researching yourself. <laughs> Which is good. It's good to understand yourself and to get more tools. While learning mind management techniques is vital to cleaning up your mental mess, there are some other things you can do to help aid your healing journey. One thing you can do is incorporate CBD products. Recently, I have been feeling high levels of anxiety due to the current crisis and trying to finish a book on a tight deadline. So I knew I needed some extra help on managing stress and worry, and that's why I use Feels Premium CBD. Feels naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness, and has really made the world of difference in my life during this extra stressful time. I love how easy Feels is. You just place a few drops of Feels under your tongue, and feel the difference within minutes. New to CBD? Feels offers a free CBD hotline to help guide your personal experience. Join the Feels community to get Feels delivered to your door every month. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel at any time. Feels has me feeling my best every day and it can help you too. 
Become a member today by going to feels.com slash drleaf and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash Dr. Leaf to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash Dr. Leaf. The link and offer details will also be in the show notes. You know, when I was practicing, I did the, the tools that they, the, all the tests and things that you're talking about that we were trained to administer, I found, yes, helpful, but I also found limiting because you had to kind of see them in context because people would see numbers and think, okay, I'm bad at that and good at that. Meanwhile, it's okay to be, but you're not, you know, you're not all good at everything. So I developed a profile where I'd have a look at how a person thinks and feels and chooses. And it was a whole profile that used to take like seven hours to administer. And it was all on not looking at what you couldn't do, but looking at how you process information. So it was a completely different angle. And that looking at the concept that each person is unique in how they process information. And that was one of the first things that I would do. And it was working with with people that were labeled and and challenged and battling with learning and battling with cognitive issues and so on. And it was such a helpful way of, so I'm just linking back to what you said about about seeing that evaluation and being able to actually understand more about how you function. It's so important that one sees that also in the context of the fact that you think in a way that no one else can think. And I found that very key in working with people that, okay, we can use those tests that you're speaking about to understand that's what I do really well. So that's what I need to focus in on. And those are the areas that I'm not that good at, but it's okay because those are the good areas. You use your strengths to bring up your the things that, especially if it's in an academic environment. But it's also important to know that the way you think is great for it's perfect for you and that was for me always very breakthrough a breakthrough moment with with whoever I worked with because it was incredibly important for them because their identity was shot so I'd work very much on and I don't know if you found that as well with you and with Toby that when people are constantly sort of thinking that you're different or almost looking down at you or judging you in a way that you don't feel as smart as the other kids or something was you feel different and the people look at you like you're not as good as them and that can really cause a lot of identity issues and so for me it was very important when I was working with patients was to make sure that the identity was back on track and understand first how to think and then how to learn and then we would look at okay so based on traditional tests there's a great description of the symptoms but that's not who you are that's what you're showing so let's see how we can work on that so that's kind of the approach that I think you yeah that's basically just showing you a roadmap of how you make it through the day (laughs) you know and we were really really lucky and I guess I'm I should say I'm really lucky. I grew up with two therapists. (laughs) And so that kind of looking at a different way of looking at things and motivating this behavior was very common to me. And I sought out people who weren't just signing off on something for a prescription or for... So good quick fix because yeah, that's terrible that's so so good you didn't experience that I mean we did experience that you know it, it, well, not, they tried but your parents didn't let it happen well the the interesting thing is no matter how much you know you you really have to be present when someone's telling you something about your kid or about yourself to really actively listen yeah. and say I'm going to take this in and I may have to process it later, but it's valuable information for me, even though I want to burst out into tears. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and that happens over and over and over again in life. I don't really think 
there's an end to that. There is no end to the growth. There's always more learning to do. And the the coolest thing is to see when someone has just a small win and then they'll call me and say, I did X, Y, and Z. And I say, I told you, you can do this. And then, you know, you get this just burst of joy and, you know, dopamine, whatever you yeah. want. This just massive feeling of accomplishment. It's so big for people who are different. Small wins are really big for people who think differently because they don't happen as easily. But when they do, they're huge, you know? Yeah. It's a little more training, you know? And I think there are fluky things you also just have to put into perspective and say, okay, I heard you, I'm listening to you, and I don't agree. Like, I'll give you a hilarious example. Toby was at a a child therapist and it was his second appointment and I was working at Glamour and I was at my desk and someone said, the therapist is calling. She's in the the session. Isn't that kind of strange? And I said, yeah. And she said, hi, I I just really need to talk to you because Toby, we've been playing with some kitchen toys and he put all of the people in the oven. <laughs> and she said, that's a sign that he may be suicidal. You know, okay, whatever. And I'm listening to this, of this meeting. And I said to her, no, it's a sign he wants to leave. You know what? It's done. Finished. See ya. I don't want to talk to Mrs. So-and-so anymore. Oh, my gosh. They could have labeled him as suicidal and put him on meds. She said he's very, very, very depressed. And I said, I think he's very, very, very Mm -hmm. depressed about being in your office. (gasps) Wow. Yeah. So that's what I mean by... um, I went back and apologized to this woman and said, you know, we just aren't a good fit and whatever. But at the time. But the conclusion that was drawn, that was that would, that would have had a lifelong impact if you had tracked down that route of them telling you your child's suicidal. And you understood his, when you understood he was just bored and wanted to get out of the office. And how often that happens is frightening. Especially more now. I mean, I watched over the 30 years that I, that I practiced and I just watched how people went from working as a team trying to solve the, and understand the person in the way you've described, not just assign a statement to a particular, that's a symptom of, but trying to understand the whole context to this thing of looking just tick, 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 tick the boxes, certain statements. This means that without really digging deep and finding out more. So instead of her telling you that, she should have asked you, what does this behavior perhaps mean and got more context? But instead, she just immediately made that decision that your child's suicidal. I mean, I think she really panicked and whatever. She's a very good therapist. I, I, you know, everyone had heard great things about her. So it was just one of those moments where I get my kid. So I'm going to say no to you. And this is why. So important. It comes back to communication. And I just want to be very clear in saying that I don't take suicide lightly at all. Of course. I, I, there are, people who are there to help you, whether it's by text, yeah. text line, you know, National Suicide Prevention Line, they, there is help and it is free. And we'll put those links up in the show notes as well. We, we do frequently do that. And I think there are younger and younger kids who may appear 
very, very stressed right now. And, and so I think it's important to look beyond a teenager, maybe to a, to a nine or 10 year old. We live in a really strange time. We right? do, we do. But the other great thing that I think offices can do, you know, teams can do, people can do on their own is take mental health first aid. It's, it's a long day. <laughs> yes. A long day. And you feel like sort of like you're in driver's ed for your brain. Like, and they show these old movies and like, it's, 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 it's hard for me. It was hard for me to endure. But at the time, what I realized they were doing at the time, they were repeating the same messages over and over again, you know, about actively listening, asking questions, not trying to solve the problem, not trying to be the expert, but to get information and gather information. And I, I have been in that situation where I have had to say, are you actively thinking about suicide? And they recommend that you communicate that way. And if you, if you need to, if you feel comfortable doing so. And the person said, no, but thank you for asking. It's not a universal, this is what you should ask. But basically the whole course, the eight hour course, really shows you not to be afraid. Encouraging people to talk about this. It's so important to encourage people to talk because then you can process it. Right, to, to be caring and to be... Yeah, compassionate. Not be able to panic. If you panic, you can't be compassionate. <laughs> so Exactly. Once you've gone through that, you, you have a sense of confidence. It's like riding a bicycle. It comes back to you and you, you think, oh, that's what that person said. I remember that I should look at, you know, ask them about their day or ask this person you know, a different set of questions to get them to open up. There's so much on social media as well. There's so many incredible psychiatrists and psychologists and, and people that are putting out a lot of self-help and guiding people through those processes. We put out a lot as well. And so there's, there's a lot of help to be able to help each other, which is really important. What I want to ask you is in terms of in the workplace and in terms of the concept of neurodiversity, can you just define how you see neurodiversity first? And then secondly, what advice can you share to, in terms of talking to a boss about a mental health or a learning disability? So we've, we've kind of discussed it broadly, but let's take the concept neurodiversity and then let's take that into the workplace and give someone some strategies, maybe some tips and things on how to, to talk about your neurodiversity to your boss. So studies show that less than 6% of people disclose to their, at their workplace that they have a mental health diagnosis or a learning disability. So that shows you how fearful people are. That show that 2% of leaders at the board level would divulge to fellow leaders that they had a mental health issue or actually I think it's any disability, 2%. Mm -hmm. So there's, you're in this bubble of not talking. And when I talk about being a rebel, I feel a little bit concerned about saying, Oh, here's, here's my, you know, diagnosis and here's the, you know, these are the things I do well and I don't do well. And like, just, you know, spilling it all out. Right. Because you have to imagine you're starting from ground zero. Yeah. Yeah. You are as someone telling them and they are as someone knowing. And so it's much better to say, 
for just put the disclosure issue to the side or the accommodations issue to the side and make a list of what you do best when and how you like to work and what you typically can do until the moment you're stressed, like what stresses you out. So just little notes like that. I like that very much. If I may interrupt you there, that's a really good point. That instead of they put the disabilities language, the mental health language, the biomedical model, which is so scary and it immediately makes you an other, like something's wrong with you. You know, you've got some neuropsychiatric brain disease, which half the time isn't even a scientific term. And rather just put that all aside and accommodations, all that scary stuff and sit down with your boss and say, listen, this is what I'm good at and this is how I can be my best and make a list of those things of how you know you operate best. If you want the best out of me, these are the things that will get the best out of me. Starting a job, it may seem a little weird the very first time you're starting a job, but let's say you get to know your boss and they take you in for your first review or whatever, and you say, I brought with me a list of ways that I think I'm having, you know, I'm I'm rubbing up against a difficulty working, like the process of it or the person or understanding the bigger picture or taking down the details. And you can say, I noticed that you do X, Y, and Z. And while I would love to follow in your lead (laughs) and you're very talented, I'm not sure that I can do that, right? And so maybe that's, I can't do seven appointments a day as a salesperson. Just can't do it, right? Mm -hmm. And yes, I want that bell to ring that we all reach the goal, right? Whatever the donation goal is. Yeah. We used to have this big bell when we reached a a certain goal at work. And while I I want to reach the goal, these are the things that I do best. So if I say, I'm out on calls one on Mondays or Tuesdays. And then on Wednesdays, I have an organizational morning <laughs> where I'm not in a meeting with you. I'm, I'm just, I have three hours to organize and, you know, go on to Salesforce or do whatever I need to do to track what I've just done because I very easily forget it. And then I get time to make a list of the things that I am responsible for. And I'm happy to share that list with you of the things that I've worked on. But this idea of just get out there and do your best, keep going, keep going, keep going. Mm, That doesn't help. Work for me. And that's a very specific Mm. way of saying. It's very good. You know, I want to challenge you to see if we could do it this way. You're not leaving anything unspoken. You you laying out the everyone knows like he the the he she the boss whoever they are your the leaders they understand you know you've been honest and truthful. That's really that this is you 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 can totally achieve this job, but you have to do it this way. And so when it's all out on the table, everyone knows where they stand. There's no uncertainty. It's clear what when whatever you whatever you're doing in your job and the way you're doing it, it's clear to them. They know that you're doing it that way because that's how they're going to get the best out of you. But if you leave it unspoken and you try and keep up, you're going to burn yourself out and become completely completely toxically stressed. There, and it comes up all in all different ways. Another yeah. exercise is so important for people, everybody to de-stress yeah. at this point and very important for your brain. It's just for your brain to have that time to just shut down and focus not on work or family, whatever it is. And, and hopefully you're doing something you enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I used to swim in the morning And I would come in and 
I was dealing with a lot of people in business who had meetings of their own at nine o'clock or, or, you know, eight o'clock in the morning. So I would come in with my hair in a ponytail with my hair wet and I refused to give up my exercise. It was really the only time I had in, in the morning. And my boss was very traditional and she took me inside and she said, that is very unprofessional to come in to work with your hair wet. And I said, well, it's not dripping down my shirt <laughs> like a baseball cap. I don't think that would work either. And I said, I have to be honest with you. I need 3D. Need that. Mm-hmm. I need to swim. And if, if I have to say to this group of, of 24 men with 40 years each experience, you know, how, how many hundreds of years of experience, I still do a good job with my hair wet. I will. It's being direct like that. It's being honest and saying, I need this. And then throw out a few scientific articles. Like, for example, it increases the hope chemically in your brain. It makes me more efficient. And if you have to stand up to these group of people that you're presenting to that have got a combined hundreds of years of experience, and you tell them, hey, listen, I can do a good job with my hair wet. In fact, I'm better off because I've just done exercise. And so I'm going to be more efficient. So it's being direct. It's being honest. That's what you're saying. It's just saying it like it is. Confidence. Once you get to start, when you, once you start doing it, you'll notice other people doing it as well. Even lunchroom issues or someone brings in tuna fish some, or every day, like I'm very sensitive to smell. Smell. Oh gosh. I can just, yeah. Tuna fish on a plane. We, that, that's not the most, or in a small environment, not the most pleasant experience. And barbecue potato chips with that, like Dorito with that smell coming out, right? You're like, oh, you know. <laughs> And so you can be passive aggressive about it and bring in like, you know, purple grape bubble gum and start chewing loudly. <laughs> that, you know, <laughs> that's fine. But you can also say to the person, hey, can you not eat lunch at your desk the days that you have the, that stuff? Because I just, I, I know you're going to say I'm a baby or whatever you want to say. I just have to tell you this. And there are other people who think this too. I'm probably the only one brave enough to tell you, you can do what you like, but you have the information, you know? This episode is brought to you in part by International Justice Mission. For more than 20 years, International Justice Mission has worked to end slavery and violence around the world and create more just communities where people aren't trafficked or abused in the first place. And an important part of this work is to provide trauma-informed therapy and care to people who have experienced this type of abuse. People like Ruby, who is from the Philippines. Ruby was 15 years old when her parents died. Shortly after, she was offered a job at an internet cafe across the country. But as soon as she arrived, she knew she had been tricked. Instead of working at an internet cafe, Ruby was sexually exploited over webcams to predators around the world. In an IJM undercover operation, Ruby was rescued and brought to safety. But that was only the beginning of her journey to freedom. For years after her rescue, International Justice Mission supporters have walked with Ruby to make sure she has everything she needs to journey towards healing, especially trauma-focused therapy. Today, Ruby is safe. Because of the healing she received, she was able to start dreaming of her future again. She graduated from college and is considering pursuing a law degree next. Trauma-focused therapy is critical to help survivors move forward and heal. You can make this healing possible by providing an hour of therapy for a child like Ruby. For just $45, you can provide trauma-informed therapy that will change a child's life. Head to 
ijm.org forward slash Dr. Leaf and help vulnerable children heal by giving the gift of therapy today. That's ijm.org forward slash Dr. Leaf. The link and more details will be in the show notes. I think if we were all more honest with each other like that, it would make work environments so much easier because there are things that people are more sensitive to certain things and it's just a matter of respect. And what you said is very interesting. There's once one person starts being honest and open, then, you know, people in general are wired for love. I mean, in general, wired to support each other and that kind of thing. So it's, then it's, it spreads like a, like a good virus that it actually spreads and it becomes something that everyone else does. You open a door to honest communication as opposed to, as you say, the aggressive communication and passive aggressively come in and chew the bubble gum to try and override the smell of the tuna fish. <laughs> it's a lot of bubble gum <laughs> or coming with a spray. <laughs> I'll give you another one. I used to, I used to just dread this one meeting. And so I would wait and I was procrastinating and I knew it was wrong. And I would wait until the last minute to drive in. And it was an evening meeting to drive in. And I would always have to knock on the door to get into the meeting. And it, it was really annoying for everybody. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and I finally said to the group, like, I'm going to try if it's after 6.05, don't let me in. Like, I, there's ah. a window, like. So that the assistant didn't have to be like, ah, you know, I'm sitting here waiting for the buzz, you know, like, yeah. and, and I said, I'm working on it. I'm really, <laughs> I'm aware yes. of the problem. And that's another good way to go about it. Is I love that. Limits and say, I know this has a cost to you as well. And it's, it's taking up your mind time and Mm, so you're being showing respect, you're showing, showing consideration for the other person and you know it's something that you're doing that's imposing some discomfort on them and taking up mind time, as you said, or whatever. So you're being honest and you gave yourself a limit. So did that work? When you, did it work what you told them to do? I also felt accountable. Very good. Very good. Yeah. That, you know, I don't, I didn't really spend much time with her, but I had made this pact <laughs> with her in my head. And then... There are other times where I'll, I'll barter, like I'll say, you know what I can't focus on? I can't focus when you're scrolling through all the pictures like that, like you're going so fast and mm -hmm. it's age, <laughs> part, of, part right. of my brain can't go that fast. And I'll say, but I know you don't like it when I don't use the, the control, alt, shift, whatever, you know, the actual... I may use all the keystrokes and it takes very long to cut and paste something. So yeah. I do that while we work together. If you don't do that. Perfect. So it's compromise. So you, whatever irritates each other, you be honest about it. And when you're together, you don't do it. I mean, these are brilliant strategies and that creates a, work, a good working environment. Right. And, and I, don't, I don't think every one of those things works with every person. But I, I truly believe that People who think differently are very empathic. And if you, mm -hmm. if you sense something, it's probably true in some fashion. That's great. That's a great guideline. It's a great to just follow your empathy. And if you sense something, follow that gut instinct that you're feeling, that empathy that you're feeling. Very, very good. I want to just pivot to a, a great article that you wrote called, This is why faking it till you make it at work is a bad idea. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about that article? That was one of the first pieces I wrote, and I spent so long trying to find people in leadership positions who would, who would talk about 
their ADHD or dyslexia, anything. Anything, anything they were battling with. It was literally, I, it was, I think I went through 20 people and I ended up with one person from Salesforce who said she would talk to me. And it really just, it spurred on this feeling that, oh my gosh, the amount of stress that you put on yourself, that, that there's two mm. views. One is at work and one is at, you know, there's work Denise and home Denise. So bad. So bad for the brain, the body, the mind. Yeah. I, I, I'm not, I never realized how much of a toll it took on me. Mm. So don't fake it. I was interviewing someone recently who spoke or described this and I didn't hadn't related it till you explained it like this, but explained that sometimes we you know, we have we live in this front room which is what people expect of us and that's how you're supposed to behave in a certain whether it's a corporate environment or religious environment or family whatever. But the real use in the back room and but that real you is the real you. So it's driving you, but now you're living in you're living in this so you've got this conflict and eventually it just it will collapse you know, it collapses on you and you've got to come out, you've got to decide, am I gonna live in the back room or it was so it was just that's the faking it till you make it kind of thing. It's and it creates so much cognitive dissonance in the brain. You know, with the mind brain research that I do, if you're not honest with yourself, if you don't follow your true value, if you don't listen to the your non conscious mind, which is your true value, who you are, you're going to be you're gonna cause all kinds of damage in your brain and all kinds of inflammation in your body and you're gonna have all kinds of mental health issues as well. So we have to be integrity and honesty and authenticity has to play out for a person to have, feel meaningful and comfortable. But as you so correctly said, not everyone's going to like that, but the majority of people will, because the majority of people have got something that they would like to talk about. And I think it's important to give it a try once. Yeah. Try anything once, because that way you're also getting feedback. Oh, this person, this is not the way to go, you know. Yeah, and then you've learned something, and then you can try another track. Right. And I, I think that you have to keep testing and testing, but you also have to keep your sense of humor. You, you just really have to. I mean, I had a situation recently where someone told me something about what I said to them, and I said, I did not say that. And they said, you did say that. <laughs> I had to, we, we, I said, well, writers are very needy, you know, and then later on in the conversation, it came up, well, because you're a writer and it's, you're so needy, you know, and while I wanted to burst into tears, yeah. at least if, if you, I, you know, I said to my parents, just be done with me. If I don't have a sense of humor, it, nothing will get done ever. This is incredible wisdom. What you've just said now is such wisdom because we, we get, people are going to say things to us and we are going to feel like we need to justify and we are going to feel that, that stab of pain that makes us want to burst into tears. And if we, and you saying is accept what they're saying, understand it's from their perception, may not necessarily be correct, but bring in a sense of humor to help you dissipate that desire to burst into tears. To, otherwise, it becomes too painful and you become so burdened. Right. And, and then one other trick I've learned, which I'm sure you know, is that I'll name that thing that's really awful about the way I'm doing things. Like, the, you know, the roller coaster is happening again, you know, and I stop and I pause and I sometimes I'll set the timer on the microwave for one minute or I'll listen to one song and I say, you have to get off the roller coaster. So good. No, just name it something and so it's That's very good it's not it's just a symptom it's just something that's happening very good 
it's not you. It's not you. It's just a symptom of a reaction to what's going on. There used to be a woman that I worked with who would say these, these very direct things. She was our manager. And so we started to talk about her and use a code name. We used the code name Fran. And this was like literally 20 years ago. Yeah. And so now I think to myself, wow, that is my inner Fran. <laughs> so you can kind of, you can kind of separate yourself from yourself and kind of laugh about it. And that also then takes a lot of the emotional sting out of it. Right. Or, and I'll say to like my, my kids, oh, I had a, such a Fran kind of day, you know, or, Love it. you know, I think always trying to not isolate the problem, but name the problem. Yes, it's always good to get it out. That's what the research also shows, the mind-brain research that I've done as well. If you don't get if you don't get it out, it goes into your brain as a structure. It goes into every cell of your body. It's in your DNA. And then you suppress it and that affects your functioning. So what you're saying is so good. Get it out. And that's a great way of doing it. Like name it. Time Set the timer on your microwave. I like that one. That's very funny. It's okay. When the thing goes ping after 30 seconds or whatever, you're off the roller coaster and you're coming. So it's made it. You've taken it out of yourself. You've, you've created distance. And I call it that sort of, and then you analy- an- analy- analyze that and help yourself to get more perspective. And I call that the multiple perspective advantage. And it's an actual scientific thing that you're doing. So it's a great technique. I, I, but I love the microwave. Now it's got a new thing, Fran and microwave. You've got some new terms. <laughs> or everybody has a smartwatch. I just happen to be like, you know, heating up my coffee for the third time. No, but the microwave works. That just, I just got that visual image of just microwave ping what are you doing that is very funny this has been so lovely so informative and so helpful for so many people and i want to thank you for your time and where can people find out more about you and your company and get your book because you wrote a book your book the elephant in the playroom ordinary parents write intimately and honestly about raising kids with special needs so before we end just quickly tell us about that book and where people can get hold of your book that book was published in 2007. It's still available. I still see people buying it. It's also on a lot of college lists. You can find it in a lot of college bookstores sometimes. It's amazing. For nurses and teachers, it's on the syllabus. But I wrote that book with 41 people sending me letters that we chose, edited them and published them because mm. I couldn't find anybody who was saying true things about wow. medication and marriage and in-laws and you name it, right? And so now... As part of Rebel Talent, I've, I'm starting The Elephant in the Office. Oh, that's wonderful. Doing the same thing. So you are welcome to write to me with Elephant. In the- oh. And I also always say anybody who wants to send me an email through my website, elephants-everywhere.com. Not, so it's just a short dash in between elephants-everywhere.com. Or find me on Twitter at dbrody. On Instagram, I'm, I'm Talent Rebel. Because Rebel Talent was taken, but uh, <laughs> they could work there. We'll put those links in the show notes. So people will definitely be able to find you. I have this every time and I welcome it. If you put elephant in the title of your email or your note, it means to me, I heard you and I just, am, I don't know where else to turn. And I will, I, I will love that. email you or send you a resource or call you. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for saying that. And we'll put all those links in the show notes. And thank you so much for your time. It's been fascinating. It was great. It was wonderful. Thank you for all your hard work. Thank you. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips 
and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.